Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Diosti, founder of Viv. And Femtech, to me, is breaking the trend of using our insecurities to fuel profits for corporations and actually being the experts in the problems that need to be solved in the world. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and in today's episode, I interview Katie Diasti, the founder and CEO of Viv for Your V. Viv, V-I-V, is an earth-friendly period care product that's delivered directly to your door. Viv sells menstrual cups pads, liners, and pre-orders are open for tampons too. The pads and liners are made out of bamboo and are free of harmful toxins. For every period that Viv products are used for, it reduces the waste by the equivalent of 48 plastic bags. Can you imagine that? One period's worth is 48 plastic bags. It's insane. We have a special offer for ours listeners. So go to vivforyourv.com and use promo code FEMTECH for 10% off your order. That's femtech at vivforyourv.com. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Katie. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. So excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Very excited to have you on. Sue Wern, my right-hand woman, our programs manager at Femtech Focus, she's very excited because you are a Gen Z founder focusing on Gen Z consumers. So she is like all over this. She's so excited for me to be interviewing you. That's awesome. She's amazing. And I remember talking to her and she was using our products when we were talking and I was so thrilled by that. I thought that was the coolest thing. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Ever find yourself like, wow, this is really personal for strangers to be talking about, but it just (laughs) happens to be the industry you're in, right? Yeah, it's funny. I think there's like no such thing as TMI these days. And we'll get all kinds of questions in our DMs on Instagram and such. And a lot of times people will preface saying, like, I know this might be a weird question or like this might be TMI, but and I'm like, no, there's no such thing as TMI here anymore. <laughs> no, we have passed that bridge a long yeah. time ago. Well, I know you said you're calling from the city. Are you referring to New York City? No, I'm in Boston. So I'm in a city. Oh, <laughs> definitely not the city. We're, we're definitely not known as the city. I'm fairly certain. Maybe if you're in a suburb of Massachusetts, you are. But we're based in Boston. Um, that's where we've been for quite a while now. Awesome. Well, I definitely want to ask you later in the interview about your experience uh, being in Femtech in Boston. I'm not sure we've interviewed... Femtech is so international. Like we interview people literally everywhere. There hasn't been a common theme of specific cities. So would love to get your in, your input on how Boston is receiving, you know, vaginal health and Femtech. But first, let's start off with you. Our listeners love to learn more about our guests and their journey into Femtech. So where are you from? 
what did, did you go to college? Like, what did you study? And like, how did you end up here uh, operating a femtech company? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually grew up in Tampa, Florida. I have this like massive Egyptian family. Um, I was born in the U.S., but all of my other, like my siblings and everyone else was born in Egypt. Um, and so it's very loud and fun and there's so much food and it's like my favorite thing ever. I have a million cousins on my mom's side that all live really close to me in Tampa, which is awesome. Um, so I grew up there and went to high school and everything there. And then I moved to Boston when I went to Boston College and I was in the undergrad business school there. Um, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do when I was applying to schools. I think I applied to some in like public policy, international relations, and then for BC happened to apply to the business school and um, was studying marketing as my concentration. And then along the way, added in something called managing social impact. So studying more about how brands can be impactful if for-profit companies have the ability to do that, um, but also how nonprofits function and, and things of that sort, which kind of lended really nicely into Viv and building a mission-driven brand because I learned a lot about the different ways that for-profit businesses actually can be really impactful in the world. And um, yeah, I graduated from there in May of 2019. So been out for a little bit, but it seems a lot closer than it is now. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so you graduated and you went right into working full-time on Viv? Yeah. So during my senior year at Boston College, I took a entrepreneurial marketing class during the fall and it was just an elective for my marketing major, you know, nothing crazy. I didn't know anything about entrepreneurship at the time. I just knew the professor was amazing. Um, and it was a really small like, class of all seniors. And the whole thing was find a problem, come up with a solution for it, like very classic entrepreneurship style. And I was really, really obsessed, honestly, with like mission-driven brands and how brands had to rewrite the story. Because when I was in my second year at BC, the 2016 election happened and it was a really interesting time to be on a college campus and see so many different views and opinions mm -hmm. circulating in an academic sense as well and you're we seeing all of these brands like start to speak up a little bit more about politics for the first time and social issues and I thought that was incredible but also like amazing how a brand can almost represent the people more than their government can um, wow. so I dove more into that and was really, of course, passionate about women's empowerment and like the hygiene space and how it's geared towards women is really interesting to me because so many brands are thriving off our insecurities, frankly, rather than what makes us great. It's like really wow. annoying. <laughs> I have never heard that before. And I've been doing this and talking femtech for over a year. I've never heard that, that there are a lot of brands profiting off of our insecurities rather than like empowering us. Exactly. Wow, yeah. sorry, I was just really moved by that statement. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I thought that was just one, like horrible and two, not how our current generation and new generations to come are approaching the world and they can absolutely see right through that. And I dove more into like the hygiene space in particular and stumbled upon period care and just kept unraveling all of these issues around menstruation and the products in general, whether it be 
the amount of toxins involved or the amount of plastic waste involved in period care, but also who has access to period care products. Like what language are we using when we're discussing people who have periods? And there's just so much that I didn't know as someone who'd already had a period for what, almost 10 years at that point. Um, and to think that there's such like a lack of education around the space really lit a fire in me. And so I started spending all of my time on this one class because I decided to start building like the concept of Viv there and would bring my friends together in a dorm room in a circle and be like, this is my focus group. Here are a bunch of questions on periods. And the almost excitement and light that would come into people's eyes when they started talking about periods for the first time was insane to me because I'd say like, okay, tell me about tampons. And three people would be like, oh my God, that happens to you too? Like, no way. And it's something that we just never had discussed amongst our friends before in detail. Yeah. And so once we were opening up that dialogue, we were unraveling all of these issues that just needed to be solved. 100%. Did you ever have men in those groups? Um, they're definitely in and out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had been curious of their opinion and I was in my like group at the time of the project had was working with a man who doesn't menstruate and it was really fascinating to see like what their knowledge of the space was versus ours at one point like had to just like take a tampon and like put it under running water to show them yeah. how it even worked yeah. um, which you know luckily they were like fairly open-minded and and kind and were excited to learn but there's a lot of people that would have been terrified by the fact that I did that <laughs> Um, well, you know, I am very, very excited for your generation, the Gen Z. How old are you? I'm now 23. So I'm kind of a like zillennial is what they're calling us. Yeah, yeah. Like lost generation in between. <laughs> um, but I like to identify more with Gen Z because Gen Z just makes me like so fired up and happy. Yeah. <laughs> and the only reason I normally don't ask people's age on this, but I think that I'm, I'm trying to prove a point that the younger generations now are very, very driven by social impact. Like mm -hmm. I was learning about why recycling was important in college, you know, like learning what was actually recyclable, not recyclable. Now kids today, literally kid, kids are like, oh yeah, reduce, reuse, recycle. Like that's just ABC, reduce, reuse, recycle. Like that's what you do, you know, they know the numbers, they know the bins, <laughs> like you know, wasting water is not an option, like empowerment, social impact. And so I'm really excited to see what y'all start working on. I think the statistics even around like how many um, like kids in high school today identifies LGBT is like, it's like one in 10 or something now. Like we're just really like open-minded and exploring and stuff. And so, oh my God, I'm so excited. I am so excited because, you know, I'm trying to lay some groundwork here to like, we should talk about vulvas but I'm going to need another wave of people to be like, hell yeah, we need to talk about vulvas, you know? So thank you. I love your generation, whether you are <laughs> on the cusp or not, whatever. Um, I wanted to ask you um, about how were you able to graduate and work on Viv? Did you fundraise before that? No, I, it was really interesting. I actually, during my senior year, I was, so in the business school, which is a kind of a competitive space, if someone's like in a business program, they kind of know it's like 
who gets that job offer first, especially Mm -hmm. in our senior year. And Mm -hmm. I was surrounded by all my like finance bro friends who had jobs like going into the, before the year had started. Right. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like I need to get a job ASAP, even just like rushing to the fact. And so I just accepted the first like job offer I got, which was like November of my senior year. And it was like, boom, done. Um, Didn't, it wasn't even like that excited about it, but it was kind of looming in the distance for me for a while because I kept putting like so much energy and time into building Viv more on the market research side at first and then during my second semester I did like an incubator accelerator through my university which was great because I had to utilize some of those resources meet with other students who were like mm-hmm. also crazy and wanted to build ideas and make startups I tried. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very quickly you found many people. If anyone's like who's listening and still in college, it's just like proof that it's never too late to get involved with something. Cause I was literally in my last semester and had found like a completely new group of people that brought so much like light and excitement into my life. Um, but so I did that, um, graduated and still had this job offer like looming in the distance and picked like the latest start date possible because a couple of days before I graduated, we got to an accelerator um, called like SSC Venture Partners, which was coordinated, like a bunch of Boston College alumni created it. And I was so pumped. I was like, so ready for the summer between graduation and getting there. I think I had three or four days at home in Florida before I had to go right back to Boston yeah. and start, which was not what I was expecting um, necessarily. And that summer was like such a big wake up call because for the past year, I was mainly just like doing research and learning like what entrepreneurship was and how to start a company, but I wasn't really building yet. And so that was my like big first summer of building um, where I found manufacturers and built an audience and like wait lists and was starting to figure out how to get a product to market. Um, And in the meantime, I just kept pushing my start date farther and farther back for that full-time job and called them up and was like I'm working on a company like I want to change the world and like oh my god like okay (laughs) don't worry about it (laughs) um and then I I think I pushed it back to about like January of 2020 and so I gave myself like another six months and still hadn't raised we had a little bit of funding through that accelerator which definitely helped like get us to um like the initial pre-order launch in October of 2019 and I gave myself a lot of milestones because I knew that January 2020 date was fast approaching after that summer and um, during I think the first few weeks of pre-orders we sold way more boxes of product than I initially thought we would and um, I was like okay like this is my sign I was spending so much time doing it too I couldn't imagine like doing a full-time job and the over full-time amount of hours I was putting into it anyway. Um, And shockingly, my family was really, really supportive, um, which my family is um, majority immigrants that came to us. So a lot of people know, like, there's a lot of pressure, like what career path you're going to get into, like stability is really important to them. And the fact that they are so, so supportive of me and like jumping into a really high risk space was incredible. And so with their support, was able to actually completely renege that job offer and never go to that full-time job and just keep working on Viv. Amazing. Well, I do want to ask you about your the Egyptian culture and the kind of company you're building. But first, let's tell our audience, what is Viv for your V? You call it Viv. 
but it is, you know, the full name is Viv for your V, which I think is so fun. Tell us what do you do? What do you make? What do you sell? Yeah. So we're an earth-friendly period care brand and we sell um, biodegradable bamboo-based pads and liners. We also have a Viv cup, a menstrual cup, which is a zero-waste reusable option, which actually is one of our top sellers now. We get so much praise about them because like it has a little ring on the bottom. So it makes removing it a lot easier and it's really good for beginners. Um, and then we're actually launching a tampon offering um, very, very soon. The first week is April is what we're looking at right now. Um, so those are our initial product lines and we're a bit different because there's a lot of brands who are doing like just toxin-free or just um, zero waste cups. We kind of want to have a product for any kind of menstruator and don't think you should be judged for wanting to use a pad. But if you're gonna, here's a much more sustainable and more absorbent option with the bamboo offering. If you want to go zero waste, here's a cup, but it's going to be a million times easier to use. And then we're super excited to get that tampon offering for anyone that used to use that. So all of our products are completely toxin-free and then we're working on having them all be plastic-free as well. So our bamboo pads um, and liners are plastic-free and same with our cups um, so far. And we're really focused on building a brand, of course, for Gen Z and young millennials, people who are more eco-conscious and socially conscious. But for any kind of menstruator, I think a lot of brands don't understand that not every menstruator identifies as a woman. And so whenever we have our branding on our, our social media, our website, we ensure that we're using inclusive terms um, to be welcoming to anyone. I love it. I'm on your website right now. It's so cool. <laughs> I love the figs. I love fresh figs. And it's an awesome little like vulva simulator there. Um, why, why and how bamboo? Like what, where really? did you come up with that idea for bamboo? I, when I think of bamboo, I think of like really hard sticks eaten by pandas. I don't think like looks like cotton and absorbs menstrual Mm-hmm. You know, so tell me about how you came up with that. Yeah, it's a really good question. I was that like little business student who ran into the science department my senior year and went to this professor um, who was teaching class called like sustaining the biosphere and knew a lot about sustainable fibers. And I went in and I was like, I want to reinvent the tampon and what fibers should I do? And it was like very dramatic. Um, and we started having all these conversations around. Uh, more sustainable crops that can make fibers that work better than traditional cotton. And we fell into like a few different fibers, but bamboo is what we landed on because the fiber itself is actually softer and more absorbent than cotton. And it's also a lot better for the earth. So bamboo uses way less water and way less land to grow. And it grows best without any fertilizers or anything harmful on the earth. And so naturally it's like this really abundant crop that grows super easily and it creates a product that works better. And so this seemed like a no brainer for us. It was more of just trying to find a really strong partner that we trusted to work with for getting this product market. Well, I'd actually love to ask you about that because uh, as a femtech consultant, I talk to femtech founders all the time and there's lots of people trying to come up with, you know, reinventing something with a more sustainable option, but supply chain management always comes up and they are asking me, how do I go to China and talk about periods and vaginas and all that stuff? How did you figure out your supply chain management? Oh my gosh. Like a, 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 you know, 
an advice, a piece of advice, like your number one piece of advice for the aspiring founders listening? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say um, you can Google more things than you realize. I'll Google it, y'all. <laughs> I don't know how I would do these things. It is, I yeah, do know how to do majority of the stuff that we've done yeah. and I just figured it out and taught myself. I would also say ask others find someone else who's done it and ask them if you're too afraid to ask someone in your exact industry, find a parallel field or industry. And so for us, like our products are technically medical devices, fairly low grade, but we need a manufacturer that's FDA registered and approved to work with. Like we want to make sure we're being compliant with everything. And so finding mentors and advisors who have done that before in different spaces was super valuable. Um, So that was another element, but I will say a lot of the initial just like getting samples from a ton of different um, manufacturers was a lot of Google. (laughs) Wow. Well, that is awesome. People are going to pay me money for me to tell them to Google it. Um, (laughs) uh, it, This is hilarious. But um, uh, something else I wanted to ask you about was, you know, you you look young right you look beautiful all the things you're <laughs> awesome but like my experience having started a, a company the first company I started I was like 24 and I struggled with people thinking I was the secretary or the admin or the assistant as I walked in the room sounds like most of your experience has been virtual may or may not have helped or not I don't know but what has your experience been like being you know a, a zenial and you know, demanding respect as a business woman, as a disruptor, as an innovator. What do you, you know, what has been some of your experiences? Ooh, I love this question. Um, yes, I could go on about this for forever, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's been fascinating because I, when I give pitches and such, and we just um, are closing up our, our pre-seed round now. And I was pitching to predominantly old white men, you know, about menstruation. And I really held myself as the expert in the space. And what's nice about femtech in general, but especially periods, is that they knew I knew much more about them than periods. And you have to carry yourself that way. And I I had done some pitches in person pre-COVID and um, mainly during my fundraising time has been all virtual, which I think does help in some sense because maybe they don't see my height or <laughs> like different elements like that that could like reveal age. And um, what's been what's been fascinating to see is actually when I was going to in-person events, a lot of other women in femtech and in tech in general thought I was much older than I was. Um, and I think it's because for a little bit, I kind of had to give that representation that I was like the expert and much older, but I think that's okay to do at first. And it's a complex issue because I think what really needs to change is the bias involved in a lot of the investor space and mentorship space and startup space in general is that they like to see um, founders and groups that are really experienced and are experts in their fields, but they don't realize that young people can also be experts in things. Um, Cause I mean, I'm 23, like you might think like, what could you possibly be an expert on? And maybe a year or two ago, I thought the same thing, but now I'm like, I can name quite a few things that I believe I'm experts in now. And um, it's really just proving that to be true. And so even when I give pitches, I 
used it as like a teaching opportunity for a lot of the things because we are our own target audience. Like I am truly the target audience for Viv. And so when it comes to the way I consume new information on brands, like that's exactly my expertise because it's what I do as a consumer as well. And that's been fascinating to see is that people truly believe that I'm the expert here because I am my audience. I love that so much. So here's some of the like takeaways, listeners. This is what I got from this. You are the expert. Walk in that room or turn on your Zoom camera and be like, I'm the expert. Mm -hmm. Because you likely are. You likely are. Um, And with that energy, you're going to be perceived as, you know, not this immature assistant, but as the leader, right? And I also heard you say like... (laughs) There's this persona of like uh, thinking that investors know everything about everything, but they actually don't. Um, I thought that when I was a founder fundraising the first time and then I became a venture capitalist and I was like, wait, you guys are the ones making the decisions? Like, oh, oh, first of all, I could be a venture capitalist. Now I'm totally like, I'm way overqualified. And second, like, I'm going to go tell all the founders to not be afraid of you anymore because like, you're just like, dudes with the MBA, but like, you know, yeah. no, <laughs> we shouldn't be that scared. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. And I think oh, COVID's almost helped reveal that a bit further too, because it taught me a lot when I was raising during this time that investors are also real people. And sometimes I'd have to like send more reminders. And one investor I was talking to, she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. My kids have COVID. So I've been so busy taking care of them. And you're like, whoa, that just revealed so many walls that we have up. Like you're an actual person. Like you're also dealing with all of the wildness happening in the world during like 2020, now 2021. And like, you're a real person too. Like I, why am I idolizing you and thinking of you as someone who is untouchable? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, speaking of this like collision of worlds and, and just to end the investor thing, you're right. The real thing is not how to, you know, here's advice ladies on how you should dress. The real issue is like, let's change the game. But in the meantime, we're going to give you tips and tricks at Femtech Focus on how to win the game. So then we can all change the game. So yeah, I'll wear on this. Um, What's it been like uh, leading a, a femtech company in Boston? Do you know of any other femtech companies in Boston? Like, is it well-received? Do the accelerators know what femtech even means? Do you find yourself <laughs> finding it all the time? Tell me about the culture in that city. Yeah, so Boston is a pretty great startup city. I, I've been really thankful to be here while building Viv from day one. And it's really big in biotech and tech in general. Um, So in terms of the biotech side of things, there are a lot of like health tech specifically related to women. um, That is fairly common. We did an accelerator um, called Maths Challenge this past summer in Boston. And there was more femtech there, which was really exciting. And some more female founders that I got to bond with. And that's always the best thing ever. And so I will say that investors are aware of femtech here and it is a budding, um, a budding space here. And we're seeing more accelerators starting to target specifically femtech, um, which is mm-hmm. awesome and overdue. Um, so it's, it's here, it's here in different ways. It's less consumer heavy. It's more biotech and health science heavy, given the nature of Boston and having so many hospitals and universities here. Um, so it's been good for us because we have that network, but less consumer focused for sure. 
my experience has also been that people in healthcare are a little bit more comfortable with like the anatomy of a woman's body, right? Like for some weird reason, because I have PhD at the end of my name, I'm allowed to say clitoris and like, I, I'm allowed to say it, you know, I'm Dr. Brittany. So saying clitoris is appropriate, right? And <laughs> I wish I want everyone degrees or not to be able to say it, but there's some like privilege I get, right? And so in Boston, I can imagine with so many hospitals, doctors, scientists, biotech, saying vagina is kind oh, of still be a little uncomfortable at times, but for the most part, it seems like it's a medical city, right? And so it's just medicine, right? Exactly. And, and it's funny because I think a lot of people also consider Viv to be sort of like health tech related. And it's, we are, you know, periods are really, really intertwined with your health and are one of the biggest like showers of a health for a woman. And so um, that's definitely been helpful in the sense of like being in a health related city. Um, so maybe that helps a little bit. It oh, makes people yeah. a uncomfortable, less uncomfortable. <laughs> um, the other kind of, uh, flash of the cultures I wanted to ask you about is you said in the beginning you're from an Egyptian family uh immigrant family has le been leading a menstruation startup been a source of awkwardness in your I I'm asking you know obviously we're not going to generalize for all of Egypt or all of immigrant families but just kind of general what your experience has been like yeah it's been interesting I I come from a family of a lot of people in medicine, but a lot of um, entrepreneurs as well, which I didn't really realize they're entrepreneurs until I was one myself and was like, oh, now I know what you do, like, <laughs> you know, um, so <laughs> which is kind of funny. And they've been so wildly supportive because I think there's this culture of building something from nothing and a lot of immigrant households. And that's exactly what entrepreneurship is. And they love that spirit and that sense of growth and it takes a lot of hard work and families love people who work hard and they're definitely seeing me do that. Um, in terms of the products themselves, we don't have much in-depth conversations with most of my members of my family, but they understand more of like the demand in the space and how important of a subject it is and how many people it affects and that excites them. Um, I will say like growing up, I did not have in-depth conversations around like menstruation or my body, like with my mom. And um, I think it's the same for most, most young people or most people in our, in our generations as well. It's like, there's not a ton of open dialogue on the subject. Um, and so I was only used to using like one kind of menstrual product for so, so much of my life. And um, it made it such an even more like, steep learning curve for me like going into college and such of understanding like what different products could do and entail and then when I learned about all of the issues with them it was like whoa like I only knew these few products for so long because that's all I was exposed to or allowed to use and now like look at all of the options that we could bring to make our lives easier as menstruators yeah. um but yeah overall I've been wildly impressed and proud of like how supportive my family has been like given the space I'm in um there's definitely it's interesting because I'm one of those people that tries to not like whisper about periods anymore mm -hmm. like yeah. I have to bring a product to the bathroom I want to like strut to the bathroom with it visible like actively working to break the stigma um mm -hmm. just the small like changes in my own life but when I do go home for like holidays or to see family and they ask what I do I I do see myself like tense up and try to like quiet down about the actual materials of products or use cases which 
isn't great. And I want to keep challenging myself to be more open about this topic and continue to work to break stigmas because I'm so comfortable doing that amongst my friends and even when pitching. Um, But I think everyone has that guard up around family a little bit. Totally. Yeah. It's an interesting, like, it's just family dynamics. (laughs) I talk about sexual wellness all day. I don't necessarily want to know my mom's sexual wellness. I don't, right? Like, <laughs> it's like a line where I'm like, not yours. Yeah. Not yours. Listen to the show, but that's it. Like, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> um, so another question I get a lot from founders that I wanted to ask you is about, um, especially with, like, material stuff, is uh, patents. And so, like, was that something that you learned about? Did you, is it even possible to patent bamboo pads like and when was the moment because I actually personally I patent lawyers are gonna hate me because I'm always like don't patent it yet because you're gonna change and like patents are expensive and like you're gonna pivot and like and so I'm always like on the fence about whether or not you should even file one yet so what's been your experience around that yeah, exactly. It was when I, again, when I was like a student, like running in to learn about fibers and like, was like, I'm going to reinvent the tampon. Like I didn't understand the full process and it is a medical device. It does have to be FDA approved. And so if you're going to make a new powder tampon, amazing. It's just going to take a long time and a lot of capital, which I didn't feel like I had either of. Um, and so my main goal. And that's when I kind of went back to drawing board. I was like, what do I actually want to build? And what do I actually want to accomplish? Like, am I passionate about material science and reinventing like the fibers of a medical device? Or am I passionate about brands and building a voice for others? And for me, that's exactly what I was really excited about and what lit a fire under me. And so our strategy now is to first, you know, build a brand, build an audience that is wildly loyal to the the products we offer currently and the messaging that we're trying to reach. And then as we grow and scale, we do have ideas and underway of how we would want to potentially get some more IP on our products. But to start, we're more viewing our brand as our moat and our brand as a way to um, grow a consumer base. Cool. And as you reach out to your consumer base, you, are you doing it through digital ads? I'm assuming. We're doing a few ways. Um, definitely like social media in general, we're actually our biggest marketing channel is micro influencers. And mm-hmm. a lot of them are actually activists. And so either climate justice activists, racial justice activists. Cool. And um, we found that not only Gen Z, but us, like I have a great amount of trust for those influencers that I follow that provide incredible information and resources for others to learn about what's happening in the world. And that's who I would trust to consume a new product from a new brand from. And that's exactly how we chose because we're taking a very education route for our products, especially with something like a menstrual cup that isn't super highly adopted yet among the space. It's okay. How can we educate people first and then that education and them saying like oh my god my favorite like climate activist uses this cup like if she can do it I can do it too you know and it's starting to break down the stigmas that way through education so micro influencers and what we call the beauty activist persona but they're so much more than that they're incredible and it's funny because there are a lot of times people that I was just following on Instagram and was like fangirling over and reached out to and it's like hey I've been following you for x amount of years and I've watched you grow and now I have this company and 
I think you would really resonate with our products and our mission in particular. So that's in that conversation dialogue just continued. And they were also really excited to bring more education to a space that has lacked a lot of conversation on social media. Um, So that's been our biggest approach thus far with a few other things in the works, especially as a new product comes and we'll probably get into some paid ad and we'll probably scale influencer marketing further and um, maybe even do more like PR elements, but that's how we started. I love it. The reason I bring that question up is because we do find that uh, digital social media platforms block a lot of feminine hygiene products. They block sexual wellness. They block breastfeeding ads. And so I was just curious if you had experienced any of that, those struggles or those challenges. Yeah, it has been interesting with what even claims we can make and what we can discuss on through paid ad. We actually have to do a lot of tests to see if they would even go through given the state of our product, which is time consuming and frustrating, frankly. (laughs) It's like, we're not quite sure why these things have to be like so monitored and censored. Um, But that's why we've loved working with influencers just because they have more of the ability to speak on these things without as extensive censorship. And it's such a normal thing that occurs to half the world population to block it from dialogue on online is nonsense and so if that does occur we'll definitely be vocal about it (laughs) good 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 well what are some of your future goals for Viv oh my gosh we have so many um we've been really excited about you know the brand we're building but want to take it a step further and build more campaigns that really help education not only with products and like the environmental factors but also um more of inclusivity around among menstruation and the term even using the term menstruators like we have been in this conversation oftentimes is like new for so many people so we have a lot more education awareness to do um Something else we're excited about is some of like the policy elements we're becoming more active in. And we're first starting in like the Boston, Massachusetts area, because that's where we're located. Um, but we're starting to be more active among policy groups, which excites us. And we go to like period protests and rallies and um, advocate for like menstrual equity by bringing more products into schools and shelters and understanding like we have this access to a supply chain of products that so many people lack access to. And it's literally a basic need. It's toilet paper is free, why aren't like pads and tampons? And it's really interesting being in the for-profit sector, but believing so heavily that these should be accessible to everyone. Um, So we've been diving more into that. We also have a few more products underway. So that's something we're excited for. Um, And you should definitely keep an eye out for it. Amazing. And I think you're offering a promo code for our listeners, right? Yes. Yes. You can actually get 10% off your order um, with the code FEMTECH if you go to our website. Which is vivforyourv.com. Use promo code FEMTECH, 10% off. Hell yeah. For all those menstruators out there and all those people who know menstruators out there, because why not just give the gift a bamboo Pads. <laughs> I don't think that's how you call them, but you know what I mean. Yeah. If you've listened to the episode up to this point, you know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> uh, I have two last questions for you that our listeners love. The first one is we have a lot of aspiring femtech founders, people that were you two years ago, right? And so um, what's an area in women's health and wellness that still needs innovating? All of it. All of it. <laughs> that's the thing. It's um, we're not the first period care brand to exist, of course, and 
the way things have been done can always use change and use your twist on it. And so if something is stopping you just because it already exists in the world, it's not a good enough reason. The way that you would create something is so different than anything that exists currently because you're putting you and all of you into creating it. So of course, anything revolving solving problems for women is needed. And even if it already exists, like bring it to the world and you might be shocked of how excited people are that your brand or your idea or your prototype exists over other elements that are in the world already. I love that so much. Um, Oftentimes I do a lot of deal sharing with investors because I have all these amazing founders that are fundraising and, you know, Mm -hmm. the ones that I'm like, yep, this is really fantastic. You got it. I'm going to introduce it to some investors. The investors will say, oh, this is interesting, but it's just Mm -hmm. like bloom life. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Like on a Venn diagram, there is maybe 50, 50 overlap, but that is one other company (laughs) working on this massive issue which by the way if not solved women are dying from like why why are we like kind of addressed already you know and like i and admittedly these are femtech investors these are people who are already like sold on the idea but it's just this idea that like well sounds like that's taken care of for women and which is not what they're saying in their brain right but it's like this cultural societal thing of well, there's already one thing available. Isn't that enough? You know? And it's like, no, no, it is not. We need all the things, all the things. And it can be, you have the same, maybe there's another like bamboo pad out there, but they're after it because of, you know, really deep cost cutting, but yours is about sustainability. Right. And so it's also like, who are you targeting Gen Z's or are you targeting boomers are you targeting the black community are you targeting white like literally you can have the same product but just target different customers and can multi-billion dollar companies right Mm -hmm. so sorry on my soapbox i'm very passionate i love it i love it um our last question is uh what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful capital (laughs) I think it's been really interesting because there's so much happening with giving more female founders advice and resources, but the resources oftentimes aren't capital and they, people stop after they mentor you. Um, And I think that is really, really obvious, especially when after just getting through fundraising and seeing how some groups of like male um, founders could just like show and there's that whole analogy of like showing an idea that they wrote on a napkin and (laughs) us building this like beautiful pitch deck and like I knew as a female founder that starting with I needed traction before I could pitch even though other founders probably wouldn't have to do that but I was young I'm a female like there was that yeah I knew that had to happen so had to build a lot of traction first but if the capital was more abundant towards femtech and female founders in general that probably probably could have raised a lot sooner and done more faster but that's that's what I'll say I think we stop after mentorship but we need to keep going and give more capital to female founders 100% I love it we uh actually have a big summit coming up on March 22nd and uh you know Jesse Draper the founder of Hologen Ventures and she invests only in female founders she's going to be our keynote And she did a blog a few weeks ago. It was called like 
Um, investing in female founders is not a fucking charity. Yes, I saw that. So yeah, she was like, <laughs> I'm not doing this because like, oh, isn't that so sweet? And I'm not asking you to be LPs in my fund because isn't that so nice? It's like, it, this is not a fucking charity, you know? Like, and that's where I feel like the mentorship thing is like this charity energy. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I'll give you my advice, little female founder, you know? But okay. when it comes down to business and like, finance and like money um it stops right because that then it's like oh well I'll donate to that accelerator that supports you you know but it's like no I want your money in my bank account you know get on my cap table female founders are such an untapped incredibly valuable resource and the people who understand that now are going to be wildly successful in the future by actually investing in us because we make incredible entrepreneurs and we know firsthand the problems we need to solve incredibly well. So I'm excited to see what Girl, people make money. <laughs> money. Like I'm so excited. Like I, you know, Femtech yeah. Focus is a nonprofit right now. Like, I don't know, even like we, we operate on a month to month because we operate on, on donations, but I have faith. I have faith in this industry and like things are shifting and like I'm shifting because I'm here on my microphone, I think. And so I'm just like, just keep going because the numbers are there. there. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Katie. You are amazing. I appreciate you. And uh, uh, once again, uh, listeners, it's Femtech. Use it as your promo code on vidforyourv.com. Amazing. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to my interview with Katie Theasti, the founder and CEO of Viv for Your V. Don't forget that your every period that uses Viv saves 48 plastic bags, the equivalent of 48 plastic bags if you just use their bamboo-based products. That is insane and so good for Mother Earth, and we love her too. So get yours at vivforyourv.com. Use promo code FEMTECH for 10% off your order. Already Fem fans, make sure to join our virtual community, subscribe to our newsletter, attend our events. We got a bunch of them. They're super awesome. We have Monday night listening parties, bi-weekly Femtech fundamental workshops. We just had our summit, which was amazing. If you missed it and want to watch the recordings, then become a Fem Pro member. You can do that by becoming a virtual community member. And then you become a Fem Pro member for only $10 a month, and you get the recordings of all of our previous events. Pretty good deal if I do say so myself. Also, this week on Wednesday night, we have our Femtech Book Club, and the author, Rachel Braun-Sherrill of Orgasmic Leadership, will be there. So there's a lot going on. Become a member, subscribe to our newsletter, and set up a recurring donation to Femtech Focus because we are a 501c3 nonprofit and rely on your donations to operate. Okay, Fem fans, until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.